You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Exodus. The book of Exodus underlines God's desire to rescue people from their misery to a life of promise, meaning, and fulfillment. This eight-week series explores key moments within Exodus in order to more fully appreciate God's love for people. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I had one thing on my mind from middle school through high school, becoming a college football player. I was absolutely consumed with this one obsession. I would wake up early every morning to lift weights, daydream about football all day at school, go to practice for two to three hours, then come home and do drills in my parents' basement for another one to two hours every single night. I did pretty well for myself throughout high school, but by the time I finished my senior season, there wasn't a single university that invited me to come play for them. I was a bit disappointed. I'd recently become a Christian and thought I'd give this thing called prayer a little try to see if God was actually listening to what I would throw up. I prayed, and the next day, Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville, Missouri, called and invited me to come play football for them. It was the happiest day of my teenage years until I arrived on campus. One week after arriving at Northwest Missouri State, I injured my back so bad that I had to sit out my entire freshman year. On top of that, I moved to a city where I didn't know a single person. The coaches at Northwest told me that the city I was moving to was the biggest city in the area, which coming from Omaha, Nebraska, a population of a million, made me think that this wasn't going to be too bad. Came to find out during my first week that it was a population of 10,000. And it was the biggest in the area because the average town around there was about 250. (laughs) I was just slightly deceived. In addition to that, my girlfriend of five years told me that she was breaking up with me after cheating on me. Yeah. You could say I was a little bit disappointed. (laughs) I went back to my dorm room a time or two, totally discouraged and frustrated with God. Why would he lead me to the middle of nowhere just to hang me out to dry? Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes... Often, no fault of your own, you find yourself in unfavorable circumstances that leave you feeling weary in your soul and angry towards God. I know that's the case for me. Perhaps that's true for you. As we'll see in our text this morning, that's certainly the case for the people of Israel. Verse 1 says, They set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." At this point in the Exodus story, the people of Israel had been slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. 
They've been crying out to God to rescue them. He heard their prayer, and he answered it by raising up a guy named Moses, whom he used to deliver them out of their slavery to Egypt using ten plagues that he struck against the Egyptians. He then led them out into the desert, where he promised that he would give them a land of their own to worship freely. But they got just a few weeks outside of Egypt, maybe even only a few days, and they already began doubting God. When they cried out to God and he answered them by delivering them from slavery, it would have been the happiest moment of the previous 400 years that they had spent in the land of Egypt. And then when they stepped out into the desert, it's hot, it's dry, there's no food, there's no water, their hearts would have just sank. I thought there was a promised land. I thought there was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's all this dirt. They start to grumble against God like little kids on a cross-country trip. I'm tired. I'm hungry. She touched me. Are we there yet? Can we go home? I imagine Moses turning to his trusty sidekick Aaron and saying, Man, we're only a few days out of Egypt, and these people are already annoying me. The people of Israel could not see what God was doing. It'd be grand to grow frustrated and weary. Two weeks after I arrived at Northwest Missouri State, I called my parents, told them about my situation, and said, I've got to come home. This is the worst experience of my entire life. Come get me. They politely said, no. (laughs) So, but you're my parents. I thought you loved me. So we do. Stay there. (laughs) They kindly told me that my tuition was paid and I had to stay the semester. At semester, I said, I hate this. This is the worst experience of my life. Let me come home. I said, we love you. Because we love you, you're staying there. At the end of my freshman year, I said, Look, this is the worst experience of my life. Please let me come home. They looked at me and said, no. Why don't you finish out your degree? Then you can come home. I found myself at that moment regretting my decision to leave my family and my friends for an opportunity that was not panning out for me. I was tired in my soul. I was frustrated at God. And like the the Israelites, I was thinking, God, why, did, why didn't you just leave me back home? It seemed better there. So much of our spiritual weariness, when our souls ache and long for life, is the result of our inability to see God's hand at work in our circumstances. Especially during seasons of prolonged difficulty and confusion. The Israelites grew frustrated because they couldn't see what God was doing with them in the desert. I grew frustrated because I couldn't see what God was doing with me at Northwest Missouri State. Perhaps you've grown weary because you can't see what God is doing in your circumstance. Maybe you got married and you had high hopes for a blissful future. And you've run into marital stress. Maybe adultery, divorce. Maybe you've been trying forever to have kids, begging God to come through for you, and you just keep having miscarriage after miscarriage, wondering, where's God in all of this? 
Maybe you pursued a dream that looked like it was going to give you everything your heart desired. And it just left you aching in your soul. Confused, looking for God and unable to find Him. These are the moments that dry up our souls. The good news is that God's hand is at work in our circumstances. In verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. God looks out over the people of Israel. He knows that they're hungry. And he says he's going to provide bread for them to satisfy that hunger. It doesn't say that he's providing bread for them so that they can make it to the next leg of their journey, though that is true. But it says that he's providing bread for them that he may test them. He's testing them so that they will see whether or not their hearts really trust in him. When God brings us to difficult circumstances in life, he's helping us see what's really going on beneath the surface in our inner being. He's helping us see where we might be looking to something or someone that is not God to be and do for us what only God can be and do for us. He wants to know, will we trust him with our circumstances Or will we take matters into our own hands? Verse 9. Sorry, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. God says to the people, I know that you're hungry. I'm going to provide for you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And shortly after, Moses helps the people of Israel diagnose their spiritual condition. They're looking only at the surface of things, at their circumstances. They can't see where God is. They can't see what God is doing. All they can see is the fact that they're hungry and there's nothing to eat. Moses says, hey, let's take a look beneath the surface. You're going to see that your hunger is not the real problem. There's something deeper going on here. You see, when we grumble against God, when we complain about our circumstances, what we're really doing is we're saying, accusing God of getting it wrong. Saying, God, I shouldn't be here. I should be somewhere else. God, I shouldn't be experiencing this. I should be experiencing better. Don't you know that I know best for my life? So Moses helps them see that no, they don't know what's best for their life. God does. My parents were so kind to make me stay for a full year at Northwest Missouri State. At that point, I was too embarrassed to quit football, so I decided that I was going to heal up and make another go at it. I did, 
and I redoubled my efforts at becoming a college football player. I was on the team, but at that point I hadn't had playing time yet. So I thought, if I just work harder, do more, then I'll play, and then I'll have the life that I've been after. So I increased my workout time from about four hours a day to about six hours a day, even to the point where I would go out at 10 p.m. under the lights and run routes all by myself, pretending like I was catching passes from somebody who was throwing them to me. And in that time, I, uh, I got to my junior year. I think, all right, I have done more than anyone else on this team to earn my spot, to get my playing time. This is my moment. The coaches went through practice and began to write up on a blackboard people's names in order in which they were on the depth chart. Those at the top were going to get playing time. Those at the bottom might as well kiss their opportunity goodbye. At this time, three years had passed. I'm a junior. And if you know anything about football, if you're not playing by the time you're a junior, you're probably not playing. So this is my last shot. They put the names on the board. My name is the very last one written at the bottom of the list. My heart absolutely sank. I went back to my, dorm, or to my apartment at the time and started praying, searching for God. I had wholeheartedly believed that his hand was in this situation, bringing me to Northwest Missouri State. And now it didn't look like he was present at all. My prayers started for minutes that turned into hours, that turned into days, that turned into weeks, that turned into months. And over the course of the next three months, I wrestled with whether or not I should quit football or keep going. I didn't know who I was without it, but I was totally miserable with it. And over that time, I began to reflect on why I was playing football to begin with, how I got here, where I was headed, what started me on this journey. God began to reveal to me that I didn't play football because I liked football. I played football because I had a deep ache in my soul that I was trying to satisfy with college football began to reflect and began to realize that there were a number of instances in my childhood that put me on this path. One was with my father, whom I had an on-again, off-again relationship with. He was present in the home, but not all there. He was a businessman who excelled. He was a top salesman in his company for like two decades straight. And I began to subconsciously realize very early that if I wanted my dad's time and attention, I had to earn it. I had to accomplish something. And because I had a little bit of a knack for football, I decided that's where I'm going to gain my dad's love and approval. So I de- devoted subconsciously all of my time and attention to, being, to excelling on the football field in hopes that it would satisfy my need for my dad's approval. There was something else that happened to me when I was a little kid. The other kids in my neighborhood determined a person's worth based on their athleticism. That was a huge problem for me because I was the runt of the litter. I was a kid who couldn't catch, couldn't run, couldn't throw, couldn't even cheerlead. Like, there's just no hope for me. And one day I screwed up a play in a backyard football game. And they said, you're no good. You're just not going to amount to anything. And I remember going home that day thinking to myself, I'll show you. 
So I, again, subconsciously devoted the rest of my life to proving them wrong by becoming a college football player. The thing about college football was it was all a mirage. It promised me life from a distance. But as I got up close, it proved only to be an illusion. The closer I got, the less it satisfied. The more it demanded and the more miserable I became. Spiritual dryness, that longing in our soul when things aren't going our way, is less the result of our circumstances and more the result of looking to someone or something to be for us what only God can be for us. Looking to something other than God to satisfy our souls. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. God here describes himself as a fountain of living waters. He is the unending, continual source of life. We were made by him to be satisfied in him. And apart from him, we're always going to run dry. But when we turn away from God, even subconsciously, we don't end up in a place of neutrality. We end up in a place of looking for cheap, artificial God substitutes to satisfy that longing in our soul. We look to our careers. We look to our marriages. We look to our children. We look to our finances. We look to sports. Anything and everything to give us life deep down inside. God says, that's not going to satisfy. And it won't satisfy because only God is eternal. Those other things, they're temporary. Either you spend your whole life trying to get them, unable to obtain them, or you get them and they slip right through your fingers. If I were to become a college football player and get the stats and get the accolades and get the touchdowns, As soon as I had one accolade, I'd have to turn around the next day and go back and get another. Because it wasn't going to be enough to continually supply my soul what it needed. That could only be found in God. Desert seasons, as we're seeing here with the Israelites, are a means by which God helps us see what our hearts are truly trusting in. Helps us see Is God really enough for us? Or are we looking somewhere else? At this point in the Exodus story, the Israelites had been delivered from their physical bondage to the Egyptians. But it's in the desert that God is delivering them from a much deeper bondage that lingered in their souls. The same is true for you and I. When that career doesn't work out, it could be God's hand in your life to prevent you from trying to find artificial and superficial significance and instead find lasting significance in Him. When that relationship doesn't go your way, it could be that God might be using that to free you from the artificial affirmation of another person. So you might be satisfied in the affirmation you have from a heavenly father who loves you. 
continually, unconditionally. No strings attached, no expectation of anything in return. It could be that when you find out that you're diagnosed with an illness that doesn't seem to have any treatment or the treatment just isn't working, that God might be using that circumstance to free you from the temporary comfort of medicine to give you eternal comfort in Him. Freeing us from the things that gratify but do not satisfy. God's hand is not only in our circumstances, God's presence is also in our circumstances as well. Look with me at verse 9. It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. You in a hard place in life right now? Calling out to God? Complaining about your circumstances? Wondering where he's at? He hears you. He hears not only the words that you are praying, he hears the groaning deep within your soul, longing for things to be different. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God heard the people of Israel crying out to him. And he answered. It says that he provided bread to satisfy their hunger. Then he says why. He says so that they will know that I am the Lord your God. When God brings us into a desert, it's to, for us to, to expose our hearts so we'll see what we're really trusting in. And when God provides for us in that desert, it's so that we might know him in a way that we could not know him had he not taken us out to the desert to begin with. When I found out that I wasn't going to get any playing time on my college football team. I cried out to God with everything I had. I even accused him. Like, this is your fault. I could have had a happy life and you brought me here. You're so mean and cruel. I cried out, Lord, my soul aches. Lord, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. Would you please just show up in my life? God heard my prayer. And he showed up. But it wasn't in the way that I expected him to. I was hoping that God would suddenly change the coaches' minds and give me playing time. I was suddenly hoping that I would get super fast overnight and show up at practice the next day and be able to blow by everybody. I was hoping that God was going to somehow make me into a superhero so that I could just beat everybody on the field. But that didn't happen. I still didn't get playing time. I still didn't score touchdowns. I still didn't get accolades. But you know what did happen? God met me in my circumstances. God began to satisfy the longings in my soul for life that football never could. God began to satisfy in me my longing for approval, reminding me that in him I have all the approval I need because of what Jesus has done for me. He began to remind me that I don't need 
to be a successful college football player in order to matter. I mattered to him, and he showed it through Christ's death on the cross. He began to sever in me my, my ties, my longings for counterfeit gods that could not satisfy my soul. And by to provide for my need to have life in him. We see here in the Exodus story that God provides for the people of Israel. But he's not just providing for them for the sake of providing for them. He's providing for them because he has them on a journey. He's heard their cries. He raised up for them a leader in Moses to deliver them from Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. It's just in the in-between, the desert season, that God had a particular purpose to show himself faithful to them so that they might know him and be prepared to worship him when they stepped into the promised land. See, when the people of Israel left Egypt, they weren't ready to worship God with all their hearts. They still had desires leaning back in Egypt, longing for superficial and artificial gods that could not satisfy. God needed to bring them into the desert to prepare their hearts to worship him, to love him, to be satisfied in him, so that the day they reached the promised land, they would be ready to enjoy him and live for him. This is not only the story of the Exodus, this is God's story throughout the entire Bible. Scripture tells us that God is eternal and uncreated, that he made us in his image and likeness to find our life in him. That because of sin, we are now looking to something other than God to be our life. We've turned our backs on him. We've turned away from him. We're beginning to look elsewhere for what we can only be found in him. God loves us, and he doesn't want us to be in that place of bondage. So he came and he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place for our sin, where Jesus was bound and killed like a criminal so that we could be set free from the power of our sin through the power of his resurrection. And Jesus rose from the dead, giving life to all who believe. He ascended into the heavens and he sent his Holy Spirit. And he promised, I'm not leaving you or forsaking you. I'm coming again someday to make it right. I'm coming again someday to bring you into a promised land of your own. And in in the gospel story, we see that God has already delivered his people from the penalty of sin. And he's bringing us into the promised land of heaven with him where we will spend eternity freely worshiping him in joy. You know what's happening in the in-between? He's taking us through the desert to prepare our hearts for the day where we will enter his rest. He's helping us see all the sin and all the the longing that lingers in our souls so he can begin redirecting us back to him. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 20. says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Seeing the Exodus story here yet? 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know what that text is saying? That text is saying that the ache you feel down in your soul when things are not going the way that they should be is a good thing. It's saying it's a good thing if God has awakened your soul to ache at the fact that our world is broken. That death and divorce and dysfunction and sickness are miserable things. It's a good thing if that causes your soul to ache and to grow weary and to long for something better. Because it shows that God is teaching you that this life is not the way it's supposed to be. But it's also a good thing because it means that that longing, that ache deep within us for God to come and do something is pointing us towards Jesus, the one in which God does come and do something. It's creating us a longing for that day when Jesus will return from heaven and he will right all the wrongs, he will mend all that's broken, he will heal all that's hurting, and he'll put this broken world back together again and it will be a glorious promised land where we will worship and enjoy God forever. And you know what God does in the meantime? He provides for us. John chapter 6, verse 32 through 35 says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In the desert, God provided the people of Israel with bread to satisfy their physical hunger so that they would know him in their circumstances. Jesus is the bread from heaven who God has provided to satisfy our spiritual hunger for God to make the world right again. It's in Jesus that we have life. It's in Jesus that our souls are satisfied. It's in Jesus that our broken hearts are mended, that our deep hurts are healed. It's Jesus that gives our soul what, it's need, what it needs as we eagerly wait for the day that God will bring us into the promised land. I've been through many deserts in my life. One was my time at Northwest Missouri State. You know what? At the time, I thought to myself, God is just being cruel. But now I look back and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God did not let me fulfill my dream of a successful college football career. Because had he allowed me to succeed, I probably wouldn't know Jesus. My soul would still be miserable trying to force feed myself something that could never satisfy. But by taking that away from me, God has brought me to a deeper, more meaningful place with Jesus and given life to my soul that I would not have had had he granted my desires. My wife and I are kind of in another desert now. 
We, five weeks ago, we moved to St. Louis from Maryville, Missouri, where we spent 12 years. We sold our house at a $20,000 loss and drained a large portion of our life savings because we believe that God has called us to plant a church in Omaha, Nebraska. But you know what? We've already left our home. We have not yet seen God fulfill his promise. And now we're kind of in this desert season where it's like, oh no, what did we just do? <laughs> did we really hear from God? Not quite sure. Now, don't get me wrong. We're having a good experience so far. We like the experience we've had at Jubilee. We like our apartment. We like St. Louis. Even enough that if it didn't work out, I'd kind of maybe sort of be willing to stay here. <laughs> but, but in between, leaving what's familiar and moving out to the unknown, we find ourselves recognizing we need God. We need to look to Jesus as he does work in our hearts and exposes areas where we've been trusting something other than him. We need him to satisfy us as he shows us that he really is enough for us in this journey.